Señor, ¿quieres que ordenemos que baje fuego del cielo y que acabe con ellos? Pero Jesús se volvió y les reprendió. Luego se fueron a otra aldea. El Evangelio del Señor. Te alabamos, Cristo Señor. When the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, James and John were not called the sons of thunder for nothing. In this case, I think it's literal. They're actually calling down lightning, and I have to assume thunder goes with it, on these Samaritans who will not welcome Jesus and Jesus' entourage into their village. Forgot the fact that welcoming this huge entourage was no small thing, and that Galileans on their way to Jerusalem were not always friendly to Samaritans. But all these things aside, James and John directly refer to Elijah, whose standoff with King Ahaziah led to 50 of Ahaziah's men being consumed by fire from heaven. Whatever we say about James and John, they do not lack conviction. They see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. They've staked their lives on the conviction that he is inaugurating the kingdom of God in Israel. And in the zeal of their conviction, they lose their temper and wish their enemies dead. They do not lack conviction. And that is part of the problem. We hear Jesus' response and his rebuke. In some ancient manuscripts, Jesus says something else as well. He tells them, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy the lives of human beings, but to save them. You do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy the lives of human beings, but to save Conviction is a delicate thing in the New Testament. We hear so much conviction in Jesus' own teachings. The entire Sermon on the Mount, the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, and elsewhere in the New Testament, the history of the earliest church in Acts and the writings of Paul, the New Testament drips with conviction. Yet we also see the shadow side of conviction. Jesus rebuking James and John right here. Peter cutting off the ear of the soldier as Jesus is being arrested. Paul attacking the convictions of the super apostles, quote unquote, in Corinthians. Conviction is a delicate thing in our lives and in the church. 
Conviction is central to the most significant social movements of our time. Movements for environmental justice, movements for black life, movements for queer life. Religious conviction was at the heart of these movements across history, the civil rights movement. And going back to the very early church, their convictions helped move poverty from a peripheral to a central political issue in antiquity. And yet there are so many instances also of conviction's shadow side. Emperor Constantine's conviction that Jesus Christ helped him win the Battle of Milvian Bridge, thereby setting up centuries of alliance between Christianity and empire. Afrikaners' conviction that God had given them the abundant lands of South Africa. White nationalists' conviction that a cross should be erected at the January 6th insurrection. None of these people lacked conviction. This fact of mixed conviction is, to me, one of the greatest questions of Christian ethics. Christian ethics should not simply ask what's right and what's wrong, what kind of person am I becoming, how should I respond to this or that situation, important as all of these things are. One of the most bedeviling questions of Christian ethics is how do people do egregious things with such deep conviction that they are right? What shapes us to do evil, persuaded by our convictions that it is good? Our convictions motivate us. They also draw sharp lines. Lines between insider and outsider, between Galilean and Samaritan, between those who share my correct views and those who don't. Let's hear again Jesus' words to James and John. You do not know what spirit you are of. They think they're acting from a good spirit, but Jesus tells them that they're deceived. Knowing then how delicate conviction is, how do we harness it rightly? How do we harness it without falling prey to its shadow side? How do we follow Jesus? rather than James and John. For clearly the solution is not to abandon conviction. Not only is that against the spirit of the New Testament, it's a bit nonsensical. Deciding that you're abandoning conviction is, well, a conviction. Our response, I think, is based in one of Jesus' simplest and most difficult commandments. Love your enemies. This, I believe, is true religion. That involves both holding our deepest convictions and loving our enemies. Holding our deepest convictions and loving those very enemies that fight against our deepest convictions. It's easier, frankly, to demonize these others to think like James and John that we have no need of them, that our lives, and everybody else's for that matter, will be better without them. By rejecting these others, we are following our convictions. Jesus does not let us off that easy. In fact, for Jesus, our lives are interconnected with these enemies. 
in some strange way, because the experience of having that enemy is now in our consciousness, our lives are connected with these enemies. They're part of us. We're part of them. James and John want to get rid of their enemies, but that only makes things worse. It not only harms them, it harms us, too. Because it doesn't bring any healing. We only heal from our enemies by loving them. By following what Jesus tells us, to pray for the enemies, to begin the journey of forgiving them, and ultimately, to love them. We should hold to our convictions and to our conscience. That is what Jesus calls us to do. Yet he never asks us to hold our convictions while harming our enemies. It's quite the opposite. Jesus calls us to hold our convictions and to love our enemies. That's how interconnected our lives are with each other. That to love our enemies is to love ourselves. Amen. As we gathered together at Virginia Theological Seminary from around the globe, seeking God's reign in this world, let us pray, saying, In the spirit we plead, hear us, O God. O God, we give thanks for the many blessings of this life. We pray for the welfare of the world and for the unity of all peoples. In the spirit